We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. everybody welcome in trevor lane here for lakersnation.com your home for everything lakers we're going to talk a little bit about the lakers roster build we're going to talk a little bit about the coaching search we're going to talk about a lot of stuff uh today regarding the los angeles lakers so if you're just coming in joining us welcome we're going to have some of the people coming in from lakersnation.com as well hopping on maybe a few guests and things of that nature if you haven't done so already make sure over on apple podcast you give us that five star rating and review we do really appreciate that particularly if you, if you throw something in the review there any kind words we always love seeing that so certainly appreciate when we get all of that coming in from you but again we've got a lot of stuff to talk about today and one of the big things that i want to get into is the roster build and just kind of the general concept of how the lakers are going about putting together their roster and whether or not a rebuild is something the Lakers can really do. Because I think that no matter what, even if even if they decide we're going to go all in right now, we're going to do everything we can to win right now around LeBron James, ultimately they're going to have to rebuild at some point. At some point, that's just going to be reality for them. And so that's something that we need to discuss because it's something that they also haven't really done much in the past, yet the modern NBA kind of requires that at some point you you accumulate some young players, some assets, things of that nature. And so we will get into that as well. Uh, I've got uh, right now, I've got Sean Davis joining me. He's hopping in. Sean, how are you doing, man? What's up, Trevor? How are you doing, man? Um, I'm just waiting on Darvin Ham to get hired at this point. That's where I'm at. Are you going to change your Twitter handle when when Darvin Ham does get get hired on? Because right now your Twitter handle is please hire Darvin Ham. Um, what are, what are you going to change it to if and when the day comes? I don't know, man. I might change it to actually hire Darvin Ham. I need I need you guys to brainstorm some ideas for me. I'm out of creative ideas at this point. So I guess let's you know I was talking a little bit about the roster build, but I think we'll just kind of get there organically as we get through everything. Oh, look at this! We've got a special guest here coming in before I even get into this topic. Ron Gutterman, how are you doing, man? Doing all right. Thanks for uh, thanks for bringing me in here. It, we're we're doing it for old times' sakes here. Have, having Ron Gutterman back on with us. Um, so I guess well, let's get into the coaching stuff first. 
Uh, Sean and I have talked quite a bit about the coaching search and what's going on there. Ron, will you give us your perspective on the Lakers and their their current coaching search, kind of where they're at in, in the process? Yeah, I mean, outside of the many rumors that just like keep spreading about who within the organization wants who, uh, it seems like the candidates that they have in line right now are like a pretty solid group. I would say like, if you're someone who wasn't a fan of Frank Vogel, like the direction they're taking this in with their top three reported top three of, of Ham, Stotts and Atkinson is sort of like, it's a difference. Those three are, are distinctly different from Frank Vogel in a lot of ways. So if you were against him, th- this is kind of a good group for you. If you were for him, then, Maybe this isn't the best group for you. Can you elaborate on that? Like, what is it exactly about this group that makes you think these guys are not along the same band as, as Frank Vogel? What what stands out as differentiator there for you? Yeah, I think all three of these guys sort of are have their own unique differences from Vogel. Uh, Darvin Ham is obviously a would be a first time head coach. He's not a retread in any way. He's just he's a fresh voice and a fresh face for the organization. Uh, Stotts is sort of the anti-Vogel in terms of like, he is an offensive mind and he's been, you know, panned for his defense in the past. Uh, so that's kind of different there. And then Atkinson is more of a, like, he likes to give the young guys a chance, whereas Vogel was more of a trust in your veterans kind of coach. Uh, so all three of them have like pretty unique differences that if you were against Vogel for one reason or another, then like, you're going to find something you like in one of these three candidates. What's your take on the report that's out there that Terry Stotts, I mean, I guess first and foremost, there was a number of us on the Lakers Nation staff, we talked about this in our group text, but talking about how great it would be if Terry Stotts was the lead assistant for Darvin Ham and about how, how great of a pairing that would be. Clearly, that's that's not happened based on the recent reports suggesting that that he will not take an assistant position. That's fine. That's That's his choice. But what do you think about the report that he's excited about the possibility of coaching Russell Westbrook and thinks that there's things he can do to make Russ more comfortable? Um, does that give you any any hope? Does that make Stotts a stronger candidate? Like, how do, how do we take that in? Because I think most Lakers fans right now are of the mindset that there is no fixing this situation with Russell Westbrook. Yeah, it, it's tough because you you don't want like if you're a fan, you don't want the organization to basically like resign themselves to, okay, I guess we're going to have Russell Westbrook and that's how it's going to be. But I think it's smart to get a coach that is willing to work with him because there is a chance that there's not a trade out there for him this off season. And if you're stuck bringing him back next year, you might as well have a coach there who's like, who has a plan in place and is ready to try to integrate him as the the best way that they can. Uh, so Stotts being that guy that's like, I actually have a pretty solid plan for Russell Westbrook. It's not like if they hire him, they're for sure going to keep Russ or that's, you know, going to give him a leg up in the competition. But it does mean that if they hire him and there is no trade for Russ this offseason, it's not like doom and gloom, all hope is lost because you have a coach that actually feels like he has a plan in place, whereas Vogel, you feel like, never really got a plan in place for Russell Westbrook. He was just handed Russell Westbrook and was like, okay, let's see what I can do here. Sean, do you have any optimism for this? That that uh, I know Matt, the optimist Peralta, thought he's listening, but he's, but he's not talking. I'm sure he's he's in the middle of stuff. But if, fill in our optimist role. Like Terry Stotts reportedly believing this, that he can help fix things with Russell Westbrook. 
Do you have any faith that that, that, that can happen, that Terry Stott coming in as the, the potential head coach would fix things? And if, if you do, like, is that enough incentive for the Lakers to say, you know what, Terry Stotts, we think we're, we're going to give you the job because of what we think you can do with Russ? I've said, unfortunately, in the past that I think if you want to maximize Russ, and I know Ron just talked about it, I do think Terry Stotts would be that guy. So the report saying that Terry feels that he could get the most out of Russell Westbrook, I believe it. I mean, all you have to do is point to what happened in Portland, and I think Terry Stotts would get the most out of Russ. Um, I don't like the idea, though, personally, because Russ – even if you bring him back, he's only going to be here for one more year. I don't see Russ signing an extension or anything beyond next season. So if that's your reason for hiring Terry Stotts, my answer is no, because you're just hiring him for one season. And that doesn't make sense for team building purposes. So uh, I do think Terry could do a good job with Russ. Um, but if that's what I'm hiring Terry Stotts for, or like that's the thing that makes me say, okay, I like Terry more than Darwin, then I'm not hiring Terry Stotts. Yeah, I'm in agreement with, with that. It's got to be the icing on the cake. It's got to be something that that just kind of adds to it, where maybe if, if Terry Stotts is the coach and you think this guy, he's an offensive genius. He's got the ability to to put together great offenses. He's uh, He put together an offense around Damian Lillard. Obviously, Lillard and Westbrook are different players, but same position. So maybe he can find success there. And then that takes a little bit of urgency off of trading Russell Westbrook I think that it's not it's not everything but it's something that goes in favor of Terry Stotts potentially becoming the Lakers next head coach now again I'm still on the side of Darvin Ham but I think that you can make arguments for any of these guys and the Russell Westbrook factor I think is in the column of of Terry Stotts compared to Kenny Atkinson and Darvin Ham now again the Lakers probably will try to trade Russell Westbrook but like we've said no guarantee they can find somebody that uh, that is going to be willing to take on that contract. So a lot to, to factor in there from the Russell Westbrook side of things. LeBron is another factor as well. But let me bring in one of our, our guest speakers here. Let's bring in his, his Twitter title is The Legend. How are you doing, man? Welcome. I'm in. good. Sorry. I haven't changed my title in <laughs> high school. So sorry about that. But uh, <laughs> no worries. It's, as long as you live up to it. Oh, <laughs> gosh. That's a, some big shoes. But uh, I was wondering, I mean, I heard someone talk about this in the past. It's kind of interesting with Russell Westbrook's contract. I'm a Russell Westbrook fan before he got to the Lakers, and then obviously he got here and his little, it was, you know, not the Westbrook I loved. But um, what if he got the Chris Paul deal? What if he got the deal to where he opts out of his contract now, signs an extension with the Lakers three years, like $28 million, $30 million a year, and then that gives us more flexibility with the roster to add more pieces? That is that's something that we've talked about a little bit. Um, I, I don't know if you want to prolong the Westbrook experience, mm-hmm. but maybe on a on a cheaper contract, maybe a trade becomes a little bit easier to execute down the road. Um, it, it maybe gives you a little bit of room in order to bring back, say, Malik Monk or something. But but Ron, let me throw this one to you. This is up your alley. What do you think about that idea from a roster building perspective, from a cap perspective? If you take Russell Westbrook and say, you know what, Russ, decline your player option this year, one year, $47 million. Instead, we're going to give you a three-year deal. It's going to be $60, 70000000 million, something like that, probably more than you'll make two years after this contract expires on the market. So we're going to give you some incentive to sign this deal. And in exchange, the Lakers free up a little bit more flexibility this season. What do you think about going down that path, Ron? 
it's tough because that's kind of like to me that that's the path you go down when you've exhausted every possible trade option and you've exhausted every every possibility and the only option is you are bringing him back and if you're bringing him back then it becomes a conversation of do you open up some of that flexibility but in exchange you're paying Russell Westbrook 20 to 30 million dollars 2 years from now um do you open up some of that flexibility or do you just eat the one con the one bad year you get through it uh you you know try to make it work as best you can and then just figure it out next summer it, it's a it's a really tough call i i don't know that i would personally do that uh i don't want to like I, I think to me, years are more important than dollar amounts in a contract. And we're talking about how bad or good a contract is. Um, so extending that out to three years from now just feels like it, it feels like it, it, it'll never end at that point. And I, I'd much rather just if you can't trade them, just eat the one year and, and re, refocus on the offseason. Yeah, I'm I'm actually in agreement with that. That's the way I see it as well. Is that unless now unless that cap room that you're going to free up, and I'm not saying they have cap space, that but that that additional flexibility that they would free up if you were to chop off, I don't know, twenty million off of Russell's Russell Westbrook's salary for this year by spreading it out over the next three years, um, in, unless you've got something lined up that's great that you can suddenly pull off that you couldn't otherwise, I'm probably just going to keep the one year deal. And then be able to move on and have that flexibility. Because you look at where the Lakers are set up right now in terms of 2023, we don't know what's going to happen with LeBron this summer. We don't know what's going to happen in terms of other moves that they make. They might take on some longer term salaries. That's possible. But as of right now, they've got all the cap space in 2023. They have AD and THT. That's it. Anthony Davis, Taylor Horton Tucker, that's it on their books for that next summer. And Taylor Horton Tucker is even a player option. If I'm Rob Palenka, I want that flexibility, and I'm protecting that unless I'm getting something really, really good going back. So again, it depends on what I'm doing with that room that I'm freeing up. But most likely, I don't think there's going to be something out there that makes it worthwhile to go uh, to go with that option. I think Russ signing an extension is the least likely outcome of this entire thing. I honestly think them waving and stretching Russell Westbrook's contract is more likely than bringing him back than sorry, uh, giving him a contract extension. So yeah, I'm in agreement with Ron and Trevor on this one. All right. So, so the legend, <laughs> you, you said that, that you were a Russell Westbrook fan and now you've had this season with, he's had this season with the Lakers. How do you, how do you see him now? Like, do you, as somebody who was a, a Russell Westbrook fan, do you have optimism for, for him next season? Like, do you think it can be, it can be better? Yes, and I mean it's tough. I mean, obviously, when he signed here, it was not the greatest signing. You can't stick somebody like him in the corner and have him expect just to be a knockdown shooter. I mean, I mean, I don't know. It's going to be tough. It. I say he needs the ball more, but you can't take the ball out of LeBron's hand. And then having AD, I mean, I think with the whole coaching situation stuff too, because I feel like they're looking to hire a coach to to manage Russell Westbrook. But at the end of the day, I mean. Anthony Davis is our guy, right? Like, he's the guy that's supposed to take on after LeBron. We should be hiring a coach, I think, personally, that should be ready to coach Anthony Davis, get him ready to go, because I feel like he's the focal point going forward. So, I mean, that's just personal, I guess. 
No, that, that's, that's a good point. That's a good point, especially if they don't take what, what you're saying. They don't do that option of, of being a long-term extension with them, which I, I know most fans would be surprised if they did that. But uh, if they don't go that route, then it, it's pretty clear that you're either doing a complete rebuild whenever LeBron leaves. Maybe, maybe LeBron leaves in three years. Who knows? But most likely, I'm thinking it'll be a year or two left of LeBron with the Lakers. And then you're either going into a full rebuild and you're looking to trade Anthony Davis or you're building around Anthony Davis. And then moving from there, and I think it depends on what we see out of Anthony Davis this season. That's going to be a major factor there. So I think you're about on there. you got to make sure that, that whoever you bring in has the ability to work with Anthony Davis and LeBron James, first and foremost, Russell Westbrook being a distant third in the uh, the hierarchy there. Uh, but I, I, I want to thank you for coming on here. We do appreciate you stopping by. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right. So we will bring on some more people as we go throughout the show here. But you know, that, that's an interesting thing that he brought up there in terms of, of Anthony Davis being the guy that you're going to build around moving forward. You know, we've talked about how much LeBron has riding on this season, how important this is for LeBron, how the Lakers have to make these win now moves for LeBron's age 38 season. You got to make sure that you're ready to go and, and ready to contend for a championship because he only has so much time left and it's so important. And that's true. But maybe we're overlooking the Anthony Davis angle here. How important is this season for AD and the Lakers? I'm specifically AD and his relationship with the Lakers. This could be the deciding season in terms of whether or not the Lakers believe Anthony Davis can be their 1A guy moving forward. Sean, where are we at with Anthony Davis right now? Is it, is it going to take just a monster season from him coming up? in order for the Lakers to feel like they're back on track in terms of handing the keys over to him whenever LeBron sails off into the sunset? I think the biggest thing for Anthony Davis, the two biggest things I'm looking for personally from him this season is, can he stay healthy? <clears throat> and then can he at some point like rediscover that jump shot? Because if you want to play AD at the five, and I personally think that I, w I would be surprised if AD doesn't play the five next year, just based off like what some of the co the finalist preferences are based off the places they've been. I would be surprised if AD uh, does not start at the five next year. I think he will. Um, and if that's the case, he needs to rediscover that outside jumper because I mean, the luxury of having him play the five as your quote unquote small ball five back during the championship season 
was that he was able to stretch the floor. He was able to knock down perimeter shots, and you can open the floor up for LeBron and get downhill. But if he's shooting 17% from the, from three, and then well, last season it was a lot more Stanley Johnson as your four, who teams are just going to shoot, that is so little spacing for your guards, for LeBron to attack. So those are the two biggest things for me. I know Anthony Davis went healthy. He's a monster defensively. He still can be a monster offensively, too, in the post and from that mid-range area. But he has to rediscover that shot and just stay on the court. Ron, where, where are you at on Anthony Davis? I think Sean brings up some good points there in terms of AD playing the five and that jumper, especially the three-point percentage has got to come up. How are you feeling about him and how big is this season for AD and his relationship with, with the Lakers and the Lakers' future? Yeah, I think, obviously, like, health – Health is going to be the biggest thing, right? Like, I think fans are at a point where it's just like they they don't really care like how he looks until he can stay healthy for a prolonged period of time. Um, it's been tough because he, he you know he has the you know incredible game changing bubble run. He has an extremely shortened off season. Struggles to stay healthy the first year out of the bubble. And then we all thought, like, okay, now he has a full offseason to, you know, get back to full strength. And then this year it was more of the same. So I think it's it's one of those things where this is kind of that third year where it's like, okay, if you get injured again this year, that's like, we can't build this franchise around you because this is three years in a row now that you've been not healthy for a majority of the season. So health is the biggest thing. I think the three-point shooting, I think the floor spacing that he provides, I think that comes with health. If he is, if he's able to play, you know, more than two months consecutively without getting hurt, I think you're going to see that rhythm start to form from, from three-point range and from the, the mid-range where he was particularly bad this last year. I think it's all about health with him. And I don't know what he's going to do or what he needs to do to be healthy when the season starts. But yeah, this is kind of like the make or break season for him in terms of, is he a guy that you can build a franchise around starting next year or is he not? And it's just a matter of, can he play, you know, he doesn't need to play 75, 80 games, but it's, can he play 65? Like that's, that's really the big thing at this point. Yeah. The, the game's played. That's going to be a huge factor. I mean, if he's, if we see, we saw two major injuries last season, and that pretty much derailed him. And even when he was healthy, we didn't see full AD. We saw him, you know, be maybe what eighty-five percent of his of his powers, and the jumper was certainly missing. But if he's healthy all season, that goes a long way towards making the Lakers feel a little bit more comfortable because there is a possibility. Like I said, in terms of the cap space right now, there's a possibility that one year from now, Lakers are making the decision of whether they want to commit and build a team around Anthony Davis because LeBron has decided to leave, or if they want to move Anthony Davis and get what value they can and then go into a full rebuild. Now, that's certainly complicated by the picks that they still owe the Pelicans, or the pick, I should say, that they still owe the Pelicans. But I think this season is going to be incredibly important for him. And if he can stay healthy, I think Ron's right. That's the first thing is stay healthy. And then from there, if you get the jumper to come around a little bit, then I think we'll see the Lakers feel a bit more comfortable with adding pieces to Anthony Davis. Otherwise, I, I wonder, you know, we saw James Worthy uh, on Spectrum did a rant on this the other night. Talked about how the Lakers don't really rebuild. 
The Lakers, they they just don't have the patience for it. We even saw it recently, right? I mean, they won a championship because of it. So this is, I mean, I don't have a problem with it, but they had these young guys, Brandon Ingram, Alonzo Ball, heck, Julius Randle. They let they just said, see you later. Uh, you've got all these these young players that you come in, that you have come in, and then you wind up trading a lot of them for win now pieces. And that can work in the short term. And it did work for the Lakers. But then you look at some of these teams around the NBA, and this is the point James Worthy was making. You look at those guys in green, right? You look at you look at the Milwaukee Bucks, these teams that have built a solid core that has been together for multiple seasons, that has that chemistry built in. It's a young team. And then you've got sustainability. Might it be time for the Lakers to change their model of always just gunning for the stars and start actually trying to build something more sustainable for the long-term future? Sean, what do you what do you think about that? Can the should the Lakers shift their strategy, whether it's post AD or not, and start to look towards getting young pieces that they can keep and grow for the future, and not be worried so much about winning right now in the present? Should they? Yes. Will they? I'd be incredibly surprised if they shift their their process. Uh, it seems like even if they hire Darvin Ham, it's going to be because Doc Rivers wasn't available. Um, and Doc is the most like Lakers thing we've seen in the past couple of years ever. So that follows that trend. So I'd be incredibly surprised if they did shift their mindset, but they should, man. Um, like, it's just not how the Lakers do business. Like, thinking back, like, since Kobe got drafted, Kobe's like the last really good example of this where they drafted a player that will draft night trade or whatever, but they drafted a player and then they kept them, let them develop. And Kobe is the superstar, right? They traded for Powell. They traded for AD. They signed LeBron. Like the Lakers at the last couple of decades or so, especially are a more, let's just go get the big stars. Let's go get the big trade or whatever and get that done instead of drafting a guy, letting them develop and then let watch them blossom into an all-star or superstar guy. You can build your team around like those guys who are unfortunately wearing green. But it's okay, Trevor. We'll get Tatum in 2025, so we're happy. <laughs> uh, Keith Smith is not going to be happy happy that you said that. But, yes, I'm, I think we're all hopeful that maybe that, that can happen. But, um, you know, when I look at this, it goes into a bigger discussion about the NBA in general and what era we're in. I feel like the last decade, so 2010 to 2020, was – the big three era was it was about getting the three best players that you possibly could together. And the Lakers inadvertently kicked off a new era in the NBA and didn't realize they did it. I think that's what happened in 2019, 2020. The Lakers kicked off the era of one or two stars and the right pieces around them and consistency and, and having that kind of chemistry. They had instant chemistry, which is not normal in the 2019-2020 season. They had chemistry immediately right from the get-go, and I think they kind of took that for granted, but other teams around the NBA saw that, saw two stars plus all the right pieces around them. You can do more damage than a big three, and the Lakers stayed in that big three mindset of, oh man, we wanted we wanted Paul George and LeBron and AD, and we didn't get that, and then we wanted Kawhi and LeBron and AD, and we didn't get that. Okay, cool. We finally have an opportunity to have big three. Let's go, let's go get Russell Westbrook. I think they misread where the NBA is going and what is working. And you look at who's left in the NBA right now, it tells you that it's not the big three model necessarily anymore. You could argue, you know, Golden State 
You could argue, I guess, either direction. But you look at the success of the Celtics, you look at the Miami Heat, the way the Bucks have been built. We're not talking about a big three there. Hopping in now with us is Matt the Optimist Peralta. Matt, what do you think about, about that? That idea about this being a different era in the NBA and the Lakers needing to adjust the way that they build out a team accordingly? Yeah, I, I think the two-star model is is really where we're trending back toward. Um, you know, the, the three-star, the big three model was very much in vogue for a little bit. But I think now that you're seeing the teams that are remaining in the playoffs, uh, depth, quality depth really wins out here, especially in the long term. Um, so I definitely think the Lakers are due for a shift in strategy as it comes to the roster. Um, but I think, and then, you know, the other flip side of that too, is if you go the big three model, right, it puts a lot of pressure on your front office to nail, you know, the, the signing on the margins. They got a little too overconfident. I feel like in, in these veteran minimum contracts that they got in the summer that looked like value at the time, but, uh, if one or two of those things don't work out, you suddenly look very thin, and now you're suddenly relying on undrafted rookies <laughs> as part of your mainstay rotation. So I, I really do hope the Lakers and Rob realize that and look to add quality depth behind their two stars versus just going all in on the uh, superstar out. Yeah, I'd agree. Uh, Ron, where, where do you stand on that from a roster-building perspective? Uh, can, can the Lakers put themselves in a spot where they can add quality depth this summer, and is that the right path to go down? I think I think the big three still has a place in today's game. It's it's just a matter of those three fitting together. Like the the issue with LeBron, AD, and Russ was not that it's a big three. It, it was that the big three itself didn't really work together all that well. And then you lost so much flexibility chasing that big three that margins weren't good either. So. If you can find a big three that makes sense, like I, I personally think Milwaukee is a big three. I think, I think Giannis, uh, Giannis, Chris Middleton, and Drew Holiday. I think that counts. That qualifies as big three. I, I don't call Drew Holiday a role player. Like, uh, I, that's fair. That's. I mean, I, I see. I saw it as as Giannis and Giannis and one of the other two would have a big game, but the, the other ones were closer to role play. But I, but I get what you're saying there. They could be considered big three with Drew. Yeah, and I, I think it matters if, if your three best players make sense together and they don't hamper your flexibility to a point where you just like are reliant on veteran minimum contracts. Um, I think that's where you can sort of see a resurgence of a big three. The Warriors are interesting because they have both like, they have like, on any given night, there's like a big two and then there's randomly a big three and then some nights a big five and they're unbeatable. Like the the Warriors are kind of their own thing where their roster is just kind of constructed extremely, extremely well. Um, but I do think the big three sort of has a place in today's game. I, you know, the Celtics have built this pretty solid model of big two good role players around it, but that's, that's sort of difficult to do in given the Lakers like financial situations so I think they can find a way to make a big three work but it needs to be a big three that you know fits together on on a basketball court and I I think that was where they made the miscalculation last season was they just thought big three yes let's do it and they forgot that like you know they need to work together a little bit and it needs to make sense when they play games together yeah, and, that, and that's something that even on paper didn't work. The Lakers this season, it was always a gamble 
of can talent outweigh fit? And the answer, as it turned out, was no, was that, that it can't. The, the hope was that, that Russell Westbrook, LeBron, Anthony Davis, all three of them, they were just so talented that the fit concerns wouldn't matter as much. And you could argue maybe that happened with the Miami Heat uh, LeBron teams. With LeBron and Dwayne Wade on paper, that's not a great fit. And yet, it didn't matter. They won championships. Um, didn't work out, though, with Russell Westbrook. On paper, it's not a good fit. And in reality, when they stepped on the floor, the talent was not enough to overcome that, in addition to a number of other issues that we saw there. Um, I am going to bring out another guest, but let me let me throw to, to Sean here and get your take on, on this situation. Um, moving forward, the Lakers, you're being out of roster. What are you doing? Are, are you looking to build a, a big two? Are you looking to build a big three? How are you constructing things? Have we entered a different era of the NBA? I think you definitely would rather, I would definitely rather build around Ron AD and then quality role players and good depth and good coaching. Um, the problem is that model is going to be really, really hard for the Lakers to achieve heading into next season. It's not impossible necessarily. Um, you're really relying on one of those Russell Westbrook trades to pan out. Um, the Pacers one or the Hornets one that have been rumored. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do agree with Ron to a certain extent that the big three isn't necessarily dead. But like Ron was also saying, they have to match. And I just think it's easier nowadays or it's more likely to find just a big two or two dy- a dynamic duo of two good stars and then quality depth and role players. It's more likely to pan out than a big three and better minimum contracts. All right, we're bringing in a guest here. We've got uh, CJ. How are you doing? How's it going? Good, good. What do you want to so, talk about? I just wanted to say, I think the Lakers need to use the 2019-2020 model religiously. Like, everybody who knows basketball looked at that team on paper. You have solid veterans. You have Danny Green coming off the championship, bringing in good quality role players that we didn't have before. And then we win the chip, right? And Rob Palinka kind of just throws it all away to try to revamp. And I don't see why that was necessary. And then he kind of did it again with the Westbrook trade and traded all our young players away, let Caruso walk. You know, Harold, he, I mean, uh, Harold didn't, you know, uh, he wasn't what he was in the, on the Clippers or the Rockets, but you know, he was good energy off the bench. We let Kuzma go, Caldwell Pope. I don't understand how Rob thinks that, you know, we can win a championship giving up these good quality role players, these locker room leaders. I think they should have valued the team we had in 2020 a lot more and, uh, you know, valued the young players we still did have, like Kuzma and Caruso. And obviously Kuzma, after his rookie year, had his struggles, but Kuzma came off the bench in the bubble. He got rebounds. He played defense. We need more of that. We can't be having these, you know, Trevor Rees at 35 years old. He looked like he lost the step, you know, all these, these players we signed this year to kind of compensate and just have like maximum amount of a uh, star power possible when it just doesn't work. Like the proof is the 2020 team. You know, we had Avery Bradley starting a point guard uh, in the beginning of the year, and we were winning games. We need to go back to that instead of trying to, to revamp and try to, you know, get another chip before Bron retires or leaves. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped. 
the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. I will add on to his point really quickly about Kuz, because Kuz was a really, really underrated defender. And yeah, I still have nightmares that we don't have Kuz on the roster. <laughs> you have Kyle Kuz with nightmares. Um, yeah, I mean, look, this this was, it was a surprise for me that they, the Lakers, decided to tweak a championship team quite as much as they did. But at the same time, I thought, in terms, just in terms of value, the pieces they got that first season uh, after the championship, Marcus Saul bringing in Trez, Dennis Schroeder, uh, Wesley Matthews can't leave him out, right, Matt? Um, they yeah, I'm straight. <laughs> those those guys, I felt like they got pretty good value on those pieces, uh, and I thought that they actually fit okay. It wasn't the same concept as the Lakers that previous season. Though. I actually think the Celtics right now are a very similar concept to the 2019-2020 Lakers. The way they were constructed, bigger faster, stronger than everybody else. We're going to defend like crazy, all of those things. Um, but but then after that, after they make the minor tweaks the first offseason, then this last summer, they just, I mean, completely overcorrected and went, went in a whole different direction and threw, threw consistency out the window. Matt, what what do you think about that? I mean, are we at a point now where Rob Palenka just has to try to, to – roll things back and go back to what we had in, in 2019-2020? Or what do they do from here? Because it was surprising they made changes to a championship team, but at least those were understandable. Then it was even more surprising that they, that they took a good team that was just dealing with a bunch of injuries that season after the championship and completely threw that out in order to do the things that they had this last summer. What do they, what do they, what do you do next? Oh, man, the million-dollar question. I feel like if I had the answer to this, I'd be working for the Lakers front office. Um, I mean, let's face it, this is the this is the, the grave they dug <laughs> by trading for Russell Westbrook. And I think now, I mean, to, to uh, CJ's point, yeah, the 2020 team, we've, we've talked about this ad nauseum, I feel like. But, yeah, that was a good formula for a championship-caliber team. There was no reason to really tweak it too much. And Trevor, to your point, we basically course-corrected and said, you know what? This didn't work last year. Let's just completely overhaul the roster again and, and see if that works. It's almost like throwing just stuff at the wall to see what sticks. Um, so I think as far as what to do next, um, I'm a very, very big proponent, and I've talked about this a lot too, is that um, trading Russell Westbrook multiple pieces is probably the best way to um, retool the roster in a way that makes more sense. There has been a couple reports about reported deals um, that – would seem great for the Lakers on paper. Um, and I'm pretty much in the camp of if it takes, you know, a draft pick, maybe even two to get there, I think you have to do it because I think the goal for the next year is maximize your title window with LeBron. Um, that that's the goal, then I think you have to do whatever it takes to get there. So trading Russ for two, maybe three pieces is optimal. And then from there, hope that your young guys continue to develop, um, i.e. Austin Reeves, Stanley Johnson, maybe even Wenyan Gabriel to fill out the, the depth at the, at the end of the roster. And then hope you nail some of your, your veteran signings because they're still going to need a couple of those. And then what does Kendrick Nunn bring next year? What does THT bring, assuming they don't get traded for another piece? I, I think that's basically all on the table for the Lakers right now. 
keep Austin Reeves at all costs. I just had to throw <laughs> that in there. <laughs> we were Matt, you and I were just talking about that. We were just talking about that earlier today about how we're now at a point where, and it's crazy, but we're less than a year from summer league of last year. And we've gone from Austin Reeves. Is he going to make the roster to you don't trade this guy? No, no matter what, like he is, uh, he has developed and gotten to a point where Lakers fans have got him as their, their great hope that, um, that he can become that role player for them moving forward and be that, that consistent guy. It's crazy how much has changed in less than a year. Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's good for the Lakers, right? That was an for unexpected sure. thing in disguise that this undrafted rookie that no one really knew about is suddenly probably going to push for starter minutes or starter role next year. That's great. That's um, that's one step in the right direction, and you continue to hope Austin develops into a, a, a all-rounded, versatile NBA player that he's already shown to be. You need a couple more of those guys, whether that's via trade, whether that's via free agency. It's a lot easier to say on paper because... I mean, the free agent pool isn't super great this uh, summer, but if one of those guys turns into, you know, someone like Reggie Bullock for the Mavericks, I think that's probably my favorite example. The Lakers are in pretty decent shape next year, um, assuming things with the Russell Westbrook uh, situation gets resolved in a way that benefits the Lakers. Ron, let's say Rob Palenka calls you up and says, I don't know what's going on. I'm not sure what to do. Ron, help me write out a plan for the summer. What do we do? What do you what do you tell him? I tell him you came to the right place first, <laughs> uh, and then uh, and then from there, like it's tough because I, I agree with what Matt's saying. Where it's like, do do what you need to do, um, like do what you need to do. Give up what you need to give up to sort of build quality depth in a in in a Russell Westbrook trade. But I think a part of why they're here, why they're at this point is that every trade they did for four years was a two-for-one, three-for-one, four-for-one, where they were giving up four assets and only getting back one in return. And I think if you start attaching picks to Russ and you start you start doing all this and taking on future salary just to try to get away from Russ, you're putting yourself in a position where, again, you are essentially just overpaying for the sake of overpaying like I don't I I get that the rumors out there are that teams every team is asking for a first round pick to take on Russ but that's that's sort of like early offseason talk where everyone's just demanding whatever they want and the market hasn't been set yet um I I think there's absolutely a way to get away from Russell Westbrook without having to give up future draft pick consideration I agree. Um, th- there's a way to do it. So I think you can't fall into the same mistakes of the last three off seasons. And you can even go back to the Anthony Davis trade where like, like completing trade. Sure. You might be getting the best player in the deal or sure. You might be getting a really good piece that fits your roster. Well, but like not every trade should be an overpay just to get it done. Um, you know, the, it, it's okay to respectfully back out and say, uh, this is not worth it. Um, and I think if they start attaching multiple firsts or even one first to Russ, you're basically saying, I haven't learned from the mistake and I overpaid to get Russ. Now I'm going to overpay to get away from Russ. And it's like, that doesn't set you up well for the future. Well, that that's a good point. That's something that I've talked about that, it, that I'd like to see this offseason is, you know, in addition to all the different roster moves and things like that, but win a trade. 
it feels like it's been a while since we've seen the Lakers win a trade or do a deal where it didn't feel like they toss in the extra asset in order to get the deal done. And while that might not matter that much in that one move, overall, that adds up when that's the case in all of your deals. And I think we're, we're at a point where we're starting to see that and the Lakers are hurting for assets as a result. But but Ron, do tell, you've got, a, you've got a path here, and Matt said he agrees, to parting ways with Russell Westbrook, I'm assuming via trade and not buyout, without moving future picks. So how are you, how are you accomplishing that goal? And uh, let me make sure I hit the record button here so I can send this over to, uh, to Rob Palenka. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, there are several contracts, and we've, we all know the rumored teams that are out there. There are several contracts that are arguably as bad, if not worse, than Russell Westbrook. Not because the money is so big, but because the years are longer. You know, teams are stuck with that player for two years, three years, as opposed to one year. And I think you could find a way to essentially, like, trade down. Like, you go from one one really bad year of Russ, and you make that three sort of bad years with a better fitting role player. And then next offseason, you turn that three-year player into a two-year player, and a two-year player into, and, like, you sort of work your way down from there. Um, and I think, like, I think the two major ones are the Hornets and the Pacers in terms of, like, teams that have players that are on pretty bad contracts. But those players that are on those bad contracts fit a little better next to LeBron and AD. So maybe you take the gamble there. And because those teams are stuck with those bad long-term contracts, they might be willing to say, you know what? Maybe we don't need pick because what we're getting for taking on Russ is we get to use our cap space two years earlier or one year earlier or three years earlier. I think that's enough of compensation just by itself. That's actually exactly the point where I was going with that. Um, that's kind of why I don't think I've talked about it, but that's why I prefer any proposed Hornets deals versus the Indiana ones, because I think the Indiana ones will cost you draft compensation. But um, I think the player we're all kind of thinking of is Gordon Hayward as far as bad contract in terms of years and money. Um, if the Horns want to get off that a lot earlier, I don't think it's going to cost the Lakers much draft compensation, if any, to get that contract. And then um, I think Kelly Oubre is the uh, other possible that in that trade because he's an expiring that matches the dollars. So if that table's on the if that offer's on the table, I take that in instant. But if you if you want quality role players that I think will be more useful, um, that come with less I guess injury risk per se, then I, I think the Indiana one's the route you want to go in. But I, I'm definitely in agreement that I feel like. Russ as an expiring has a lot more value. I don't know about the uh, the Charlotte deal only because I feel like the expectations for Gordon Hayward would be too high. I'm not saying he's the type to fold under the pressure, but I feel like people and the fans were ex- would be expecting too much getting Gordon Hayward and Kelly Oubre for Westbrook because at the beginning of the season, I, I honestly did not like the Westbrook trade only because his play style is he's just too ball dominant. And I, I didn't think that would work well with LeBron. And I feel like everyone's expectations kind of like, I mean, th- this might be, just, you know, BS, but I feel like the expectations of Westbrook this season hampered his play because it felt like every time I watched him play, he was stressed out. He wasn't, he didn't look comfortable at all. Like he, you know, he's basically the same player he was the year before in Washington, but you know, the numbers don't lie. He was, 
exponentially worse. And I feel like a lot of that had to do with expectations. I feel like we could compromise with solid role players like a Caruso type player who had no expectations. The same thing would happen with with uh, Malik Monk. He was a diamond in the rough this year. If we can get players like that for Westbrook, I would I would take that any day. I don't know what players were mentioned in the in, in the uh, Indiana deal, but you know the the players they have there have more to prove. So maybe they'd be hungrier. Hayward, I feel like would kind of just you know he he plays the same position as LeBron. He's he didn't really have a great year after he got injured. I feel like it would just be kind of more of the same. I feel like we need to get player. We need to think smarter in terms of players we get for Westbrook instead of just trying to dump off his contract because he definitely won't be on the team this year. We just have to find the right suitor, obviously. But I feel like we should definitely go for you know quality role players that are more of a guarantee. Like we need our our team needs like Marcus Smart. Uh, as much as I hate to say that. We need some. We need people like that rather than you know uh, a Gordon Hayward or a Kelly Oubre who kind of are a little on the inconsistent side. I think the uh, the key here is to look at the dollar amounts on the contracts, not so much the quality of players, because those kinds of players that we're talking about, as far as what the Lakers need, those the teams that we're going to be trading with potentially are going to want to keep those guys. Um, so it'd be hard. But if if there's if those players exist and they're available, by all means, uh, I would love that. And and to add on to his point really quickly, first off, uh, not saying in this case they they do numbers do definitely lie, film doesn't, and two, even though Gordon Hayward does play the same position as LeBron, technically, Gordon Hayward is a way better fit paired next to LeBron than Russ arguably ever was going to be. Um, we've just seen Gordon Hayward that off ball role; he could shoot it, he could be a secondary playmaker. Um, yeah, Gordon Hayward is a way better fit than Russ ever was going to be. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's a key thing. You know, as far as expectations go, I don't know where Gordon Hayward really sits on the hierarchy. Let, let's talk about that a little bit. But uh, I do want to say, CJ, thank you so much for hopping on here. We do, uh, do appreciate you joining us. No problem. Thank you for having me. Thank you. All right, so let's let's talk about that a little bit. Um, this situation with with Gordon Hayward, if you're to add somebody, um, maybe CJ's right that Russell Westbrook coming in, the expectations were so high, and that added pressure was so high being in his hometown. Again, there were a lot of issues, but maybe that created additional problems, created additional difficulties. For is Gordon Hayward the caliber of player? or the name player enough to where people are going to have unrealistic expectations of him coming in the way that they would with a Russell Westbrook. I know he was never as a big time of a player as Russell Westbrook was, but Gordon Hayward, would you get the same thing where he's kind of more of a, a big name as compared or a bigger name than a Terry Rozier or a Malcolm Brogdon? Like, could that be a, a situation for Lakers fans where Gordon Hayward comes in and people are expecting Gordon Hayward of five, six years ago. Uh, let's go, Matt. What do you think? I hope not. I don't think he's there anymore at this point of his career, especially after all the injuries. Um, so I, I really hope that we're not holding Gordon Hayward to the same standard as we are to, like, you know, Russ or another all-star kind of player. Um, and, you know, to Sean's point, I do agree. Like, my whole thing with the Lakers is we were talking just a little bit earlier about getting bigger. Um, and I think they need to get bigger on the wings and the perimeter, particularly. Gordon Hayward fills that role. Um, at least on paper, when he's available. And then the second thing is, the way I look at it, is that a lot of us, I think, we're talking about just getting rid of Russ for nothing. 
So if the alternative is Russ getting rid of Russ for nothing versus a player like Hayward who could be something, I'll take the could be something over nothing. So that that's kind of why I'm a proponent. If, if he's available in the trade, I, I'm I'm okay with going that route. So something is better than nothing, and Russ was potentially going for for nothing. That's the the Peralta math there. I mean, think about it, right? I mean, how many comments do you get about? Oh, let's lust. just let's just get rid of Russ. Like yep. I don't care. Like we're, we're talking about just offloading him for nothing, basically. Trevor um, last got a comment saying uh, trade Russ for a uh, broken down fax machine. <laughs> that's that's right. Yeah. yeah people... So if that's the bar, <laughs> <laughs> that's that that is true. Getting something is is probably better than better than nothing. I mean, but there's cap space involved and, and all that too. Um, right. But. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But yeah, this is this is it's going to be interesting to see how the Lakers proceed here with, with Russ. If they can find the right trade for him, and if they can get back stuff that can really help them, and I think that's going to be the key. Is Rob Palenka is going to have to look at the options on the table and say, is this a move that number one does it does it just clear Russ to clear Russ, or does it clear Russ and actually help us be a better team this season? For example, like the Thunder, they can offer some pieces right in a Russ trade. They can absorb some salary. They can send you Derek Favors and Mike Scala, our old friend, and and bring back Russ. But are those pieces going to help you win? Maybe you can say, oh, well, there's some added cap flexibility there. And then you can go do this, this, and this with that. And then off you go. Okay. But that's going to be the key for, for the Lakers is figuring out not just how do we get rid of Russ. I think getting rid of Russ is one thing. But getting rid of Russ and doing things that will help you win right now without ideally sacrificing your entire future that's going to be the line that Rob Plank is going to have to walk. He is in for it this summer. This is this is the test for Rob Palenka. If he comes up big here, then uh, then that's going to be really impressive. I, I think that will calm a lot of the fears. But if not, this this could be this could be trouble here. This could be trouble. This is a big summer for Rob Palenka and, and his decision making with uh, with the Los Angeles Lakers. Ron, I know you're you're in agreement with that. Rob has a lot on the line this summer. Yeah, I mean this is this is kind of his last uh last real shot to to say basically like I can run this team in a successful way and I can make the deals necessary to bring us back to contention. This is kind of his last opportunity to do that and I mean he he dug himself quite a hole. Um but if he can get out of it and this is a like respectable product next season then you have to give him a little bit of credit for that, even though he's the one that dug the hole in the first place. Like, it's a very interesting, it's an interesting concept altogether. The idea of like how much, how important this is for Rob. Um, but yeah, I think you know finding a rust deal that that makes sense, that doesn't completely ruin the future while still keeping you afloat in the present. It's a really tricky balance. And there's going to be teams out there that are going to try to take advantage of the Lakers because they're in a perceived desperate situation. And 
you just can't fall into that trap. So it's really just about gauging the market and, and finding right partner at the right time. Well said. All right, let, let's finish up with this. Uh, we'll go rapid fire here. Uh, as of this coming Monday, by the end of the day Monday, the Lakers coaching staff will be blank, or the Lakers head coach will be blank. Fill in the blank. Let me know. Sean, you, why don't you go first? For my sanity, it better be Darvin. Please, I, I've had my username. Please hire Darvin Ham like months now. So for my sanity, it better be Darvin. Um, all seriousness, I do think it will be Darvin Ham. I think the fits there. It makes too much sense. And that's the I, trap, Sean. That is the trap. <laughs> that's yeah. the trap that's on me. But no, I think it'll be Darvin. Hopefully. Okay, so by end of the end of the day Monday, the Lakers head coach will be Darvin Ham, according to Sean. Ron, what do you think? Oh man, I want to see Darvin too, but uh, uh, I I could also I would be very unsurprised if it was Terry Stotts. <laughs> yeah, I can see it. I could I could see that being the case, um, especially if they're sold on Westbrook thing with uh, with Stotts. I do think he is the best coach for Russ. So that's something to consider there. Uh, Matt, the optimist, what do you think? You want my serious answer? Yep. I don't think we have a coach on Monday. Are we just saying if if there's a decision by Monday, who is it going to be? Yeah, no, no. Just saying uh, by the end of the day, Monday, what will be the, the situation? We're going to be talking about who's going to be the next Lakers head coach again. Yeah. That's that's legitimately my oh, answer. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. Look, I thought yeah. I thought the question was if they're hiring a coach on Monday, who's the coach? If we're asking where are we on Monday, we're exactly where we are right now. Okay, 100%. yeah, no, no, that, that's what I was asking 100%. because a lot of people have been asking where we're at in, in terms of the time frame. Like, are they going to be doing this soon? So I was wanting to to mix that in. Will they have a coach? But you know, we go through the weekend, we go through Memorial Day. Will they have a coach by the end of the the holiday weekend? Here, that's that's kind of what I'm getting at. And then if it is, who who is it? My answer when it came to me, it was going to be. Fill in the blank. My answer would be blank. I mean, they, I don't. Yeah. I think we're still going to be in a holding pattern, waiting to hear. Um, but it, it's felt like the decision should be coming any time now, and that's why. That's part of why I think they're going to make us wait that much longer. Uh, like, look, man. Like, I know people are getting frustrated or annoyed that it's taking you know, quote unquote, forever. And I think it's just people getting antsy because we've already seen a head coach get hired. But I honestly think the Lakers are taking the right approach and. In their time, thoroughly interviewing the candidates, really discussing it amongst themselves. I hope the answer is Darvin Ham, like everyone else. But it, I don't know, man. Like it makes too much sense on paper. Like Tyron Liu made too much sense around the last hiring cycle. Now we're in the same spot. I, color me skeptical that they make the right decision, in my opinion. Um, so fingers crossed, it's Ham. Uh, Monday, I don't think we have an answer, but you know. Later in that week, maybe the following week after that, I'm assuming it's going to be before the draft. I, I hope it started. Yeah, I think that's that's actually a good point, right? That no matter what we think right now, we get trapped in the moment and we think, oh my gosh, I can't believe they haven't just come to a decision already. We've talked about this. But yeah, another team hired a head coach already. It was the Kings. That's probably a good thing that you're doing, that you're not doing what the Kings did, right? If you're doing the opposite of what the Kings did, that's typically, that's a good thing, historically in the NBA. And when we set out on this whole process and we talked about what do, what should this look like, what are we hoping the Lakes coaching search look like, it's, I mean, it's pretty much how it's been. 
leave a stone unturned, cast a wide net. Don't stick to coaches who are just who are just people who are from the Lakers family tree. Uh, don't worry about whether or not a coach has head coaching experience or not. Interview assistant coaches too. So far, they've checked all those boxes. I mean, the only real complaint I think we've had in process has been, are there too many voices? Now that you've got Magic and Phil Jackson involved and, and all of that, I think that's fair to question. But big picture, as frustrating as it might be to some that the Lakers haven't pulled the trigger on somebody yet, process-wise, I think the Lakers have done pretty much what we hoped they would have done in the in this coaching search. And I do think it's still going to be a thing come Monday. But my guess would be, Maybe middle of next week, we have an idea of who the who the head coach actually is. Can I uh, can I say something before we hop off quick? No. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I was gonna say um, someone on our playback uh, chat yesterday brought up uh, an interesting point about you know what happens if Charlotte's serious about Darvin Ham and they want to hire them like tomorrow. Um, if I am Darvin Ham and I've got one offer on the table, it would be dumb to just take before I hear what the Lakers decide because as a prospective employee, you want as much leverage as possible in these kinds of deals. So if I've got Charlotte in my ear saying, Hey, we're going to offer you the job. I would tell that I'd bring that to the Lakers and say, I've got this offer from Charlotte. This is what it's going to look like. If you want me, you better like pony up now. That, that's what I would do. So I wouldn't worry so much about, Oh, uh, Charlotte's uh, finalizing, you know, their list of head coaches who they want and they're coming to a decision soon. I would let, you know, from the Lakers perspective, at least I wouldn't worry too much as a fan. So you've got Darvin Ham doing the uh, the Shark Tank strategy. Thank you for for the offer. Are there any sh- other sharks interested in getting in on this deal? I mean, I like yeah, it. we haven't really heard from Ham. Like, if I'm him, like, I want to win as soon as possible, right? I think Charlotte's a great team up and coming with a young star in Lamelo, but they're not winning a title next year. So, if my priority is winning right away, I'm I'm going to want the Lakers job. I think that is that is indeed true. I agree with that. Biased though I may be, I agree with you. All right, everybody. Well, we're going to call it a, a day there. Appreciate you guys for coming on. Sean, Ron, Matt, thank you guys for, for coming in here and, uh, and hopping in. This was fun. Yep, it was a, it was a great time. Glad, glad to be back talking with everybody. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, excited to see how this, how this offseason goes for you guys. Uh, Ryan's not here, but I just wanted to tell everyone drugs are bad. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah we missed on the drug ceremony or speech. So thank you, Matt. <laughs> if you people who haven't listened to our previous spaces have no idea what you guys are, t- are talking about right now, but you'll yeah, have to catch one know. when we'll have to catch one when uh, when Ryan Ward comes on next the next time his uh, his catchphrase whenever we say anything that's a little bit too crazy. All right, everybody, appreciate you guys for joining us. Till next time, see ya.